Now and Again is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage, Keanu, and more, head on over to cageclub.me. That is cageclub.me. Previously on Now, Volume 5. I was in that place uh, somewhere between uncomfortable public erections, thinking I knew everything, and <laughs> crying myself to sleep. This is coming from a band of people who you shouldn't put your drink down near. Clubs full of ballers and his pockets full grown. Which is worse, glitter or crossroads? They're unrelated creatures. We play this song on the radio. We play this song on the radio. No, I think we've hyped it up long enough. I think it's time that before we get into Mandy Moore's I Want to Be With You, you got to tell the Mandy Moore story. So let me start with I love Mandy Moore and I have always loved Mandy Moore. I wasn't super about candy. Candy was sort of like, okay, but um, I was super about uh, Walk Me Home. And so then I picked up Mandy Moore's first album, which... Uh, I just need to put this out there. This goddamn thing was sexually explicit. I'm not kidding. I really need everybody to understand this. The first track is called So Real, and the lyrics are, Innocence is what I've got. It will take true love to hit the spot. Uh, Then she says, um, Whoa. Is this the album with I Want to Be With You on it? Yeah. uh, No. What? Wait, wait. how old is she and I Want to Be With You? No, this is the one before that. 15? All right. Okay. So she has so real and it's and at like 14 and it's super sexually explicit uh, in places. Uh, I hope that producer went to jail or something. <laughs> I don't think he did. And um, yeah, it, it just, you know, she had some sexual themes to her album. I'm going to hit you with my love shot. Tell me, can you handle this or is it too hot? Oh, no. Only take one. Only take one kiss to show what I got because I won't stop with my love shot. It, I mean, it was just nuts. Uh, so You know what? Uh, when on the first episode when you referenced the Let's Go Bang song, I didn't believe it was real. <laughs> so I looked it up and it was real. <laughs> so like folks at home who don't want to go look this stuff up. He's not fucking with you. I'm not. I know every weird thing no one should ever know. I'm where it goes. Uh, I am the lost socks of weird information. He's like that island, that giant two-mile island of garbage in the Pacific, where just all of the stuff you throw on the street ends up. He's that for just weird music facts. It's it, it's that's it's all I ever wanted, and my parents are so proud. Um, <laughs> so okay, so then she re-releases that album without the problematic shitty tracks, plus five new tracks that actually try to give her her own sound, and it's called. Uh, Mandy Moore, I Want to Be With You Special Edition. And guys, it literally had seven of the same songs from the previous album. Is that the one where they CGI'd Jabba the Hutt into one of her videos? No, no, no. That's the next album. God, dude, I'm telling you, they gave this chick the most sexually explicit pop music they could. What are we doing here? They gave her no. the most... They, I mean, she might as well have been like, bowleg me. I don't know what else to say. It was... Was this like one guy who's like... It's like the people who were like, let's see if we can get a dick in a Disney movie. It's like, let's see if we can get this 14-year-old girl to talk about sex. Like, put them in jail. Give them the chair. (laughs) 
Yes, give them the chair. Um, but she actually had some pretty good music. I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan. Uh, so anyway, <clears throat> she releases that album within my pocket in 17. It's still a little risque. So then she takes control of her career and she releases a cover album. And it's actually an amazing covers album. She picked them all herself. And it's nothing like too eye-rolly. Yeah, it's one way or another, which is kind of eye-rolly. But then it's like Moonshadow. I um, bet it's better than her ex-husband's cover album of Taylor Swift's 1989. I don't like her ex-husband. So let me, let me, let me speed us up a little bit. So then uh, I'm a really big John Mayer fan, and I saw him perform at PNC Bank Art Center. And while there, the Counting Crows also performed. But they decided they wanted to do a super unplugged night. It, I'm not a big Counting Crows fan in the first place, and I literally fell asleep both nights. What, you mean a stripped-down uh, version of Mr. Jones wasn't keeping the audience engaged? With an upright contrabass. Oh, yes. Um, uh. and, and I fell asleep both nights because I saw it back-to-back nights. I made the joke that if I ever met Adam Duritz, I would punch him in the face for it. <laughs> <laughs> I was 17 and such a jackass. But I'm telling that part of the story because... I I'm, I get my comeuppance, okay? I get my comeuppance. It's now senior year of high school, which I know is a little bit after this all takes place. And my dad has gotten my family tickets to Wicked. We are seeing it the Tuesday after the Sunday. It won the Tony. Uh, Adina Menzel won the Tony for Best Actress. It's a great performance. But anyway, before that, I sit down in my seat, like fourth row off center, and I look over and I see this guy and I'm just, he's a seat away from me and I'm just staring at him and I'm trying to stay calm. And I look back at my sister and she goes, isn't that the guy from Counting Crows? And I'm like, that's the guy from Counting Crows. And my sister goes, go punch him in the face. And I'm yeah, like, man. I'm like, you talk okay. a big game. You better go punch every single individual dreadlock. <laughs> I have to go punch each crow after I count them. And so I'm now staring at the man. And as a white guy with dreads, I'm sure he's used to it. But I, he kind of looks over at me and he's like, hey, man, how you doing? And I'm like, I'm good. I think you're Adam Duritz. And he's like, I am. But tonight I'm just a guy seeing a musical with a friend. And I was like, that's so cool, man. He's like, okay, cool. Do you want me to sign anything? And I was like, no, I'm okay. Thank you. And um, I, you know what? He might not have asked. I might have. No, I think he did. I'm pretty sure he did. I don't remember. But he was a really nice guy. Anyway. He's just a guy who wanted to see a show in peace. Exactly. Totally. Nicest guy. I, I have to be real. Seriously. Just one of the nicest, you know, anytime like you run into a celebrity somewhere, it's always a little weird. Really good guy. So then his, his date comes and sits in the seat between he and I, and it's Mandy Moore. And I gasp. Because if I don't know if I've made it clear, I'm really gay. And so like Mandy Moore sat down next to me and I went, <gasps> and um, she was like, hi. And I was like, Oh my God! Um, uh, Miss uh, Mandy, Miss Mandy, Miss 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 Mandy, Miss Mandy Moore. I'm I I love you, and I'm I'm I literally have your CD in my CD player right now. And I opened my CD player, and I had coverage that had just come out in my CD player, and I was like, I love you so much. See, and she was like, So you're the one who bought it. Thank you. And That's awesome. I was like, 
I just love you so much. And my friends love you so much. And she signed a whole bunch of shit for me. And then she just had a casual conversation with me about how cool it was to see Wicked. And I was like, I'm a big rent head. She's like, oh, my God, me too. I love Adina. I've been dying to see this just for Adina because I was a big rent head. And I'm like, oh, my God. And she was just – she was absolutely – and I cannot stress this enough. She was absolutely as nice as you wanted her to be. It was, like, so rewarding to meet her. And – um it's just one of those cool stories that I carry with me where I go. Yeah, because I was just like a 17-year-old kid. And, you know, like, as, as Chris mentioned, I randomly meet famous people sometimes. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not special. You know, there's people out in California who can't stop buying avocados next to Jason Mraz. So, like, you know, everybody's got their story. I'll never forget being 17 and awkward and weird and enamored of this incredible woman and her just being living kindness. It's one of those stories that just kind of reminds you everybody's a person in a really Mm -hmm. cool way and brings a smile to my face when I think about it. It's definitely a better story than when uh, I was at uh, the Scarlett Johansson and Leo Schreiber uh, production, not that that they produced it, but they were in it, um, of A View from the Bridge. And uh, my girlfriend at the time and I sat down next to Jared Leto. And for the first act, we were just wondering how a homeless guy snuck in and got a free seat. (laughs) Yours is a way better story. Uh, but Mandy Moore being cool doesn't mean that this song is good. What? I mean, are you... I'm Eat a dick. Yield, I'm going to yield to you Eat a on dick. these next two songs. Eat so many dicks. You're going to yield to me on the next, like, five songs. Explain to me why this song is good and not just that kind of maudlin, cliche, generic stuff that we railed on at the end of Volume 1. Because it's not maudlin. It's an exciting song about the presence of new love. Okay, let's start with this. So Mandy Moore didn't have too much of an identity, right? Because she was just like the other one. I'm pretty serious about this. Britney was the first one and the one who kind of mm-hmm. couldn't sing, but we were all okay with it because she got them knockers, right? And then Christina was the talented one who did all the runs. And then Jessica was Definitely. the chased one. And yep. Mandy Moore was the other one. Uh-huh. And there were less famous than Mandy, but Mandy was the other one. She really wasn't yep. the young one. She really wasn't the anything one. Initially, she was just the other one. And she had pretty forgettable songs like Candy and Walk Me Home. And then they rebooted the album, like I mentioned, with uh, I Want to Be With You and a couple of other tracks. Now, this song was featured in the film for uh, the soundtrack for the film Center Stage. Mm-hmm. And um, the film itself was just a pretty generic fame knockoff. It's just a cute song about falling in love. And there's something really light about the vocals, something really not heavy. And at this point, all of the other girls are only using a lighter sound on maudlin music, like Jessica Simpson's um, I Want to Love You Forever. Y- uh, you're not really seeing a performance style that's different on these tracks. And uh, Ma- Mandy Moore actually had a couple. She had one on her first album, I Like It, then she had this one. She's really able to do like a light, fun dance song. And I think this song is just a romantic, happy reminder of of falling in love, that, that inescapable breath of light, warm, red air that, you know, it's just, it's, it's a commodity that you lose over time. And I think this song is able yeah. to encapsulate that. And I think it's the lightness of the guitar lick. And I think it's like, you know, the synth lick, whatever the hell it actually mm. is. That... There's, some guitar, there's some acoustic guitar 
there. There's also that like synth string kind of thing going on. Even when she she kind of takes the song to that heavier bridge and we drop down to the oh baby I can't fight this feeling anymore. It's it's still that 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 tiger waiting to come out of a cage that's always Mandy Moore. And it's there's something great about her ability to switch between her breathy and full voice and it it's never a cloying performance. It's it's never it's not boy I think I'm in love with you where she's shouting it at you. This is just a 15 16 year old girl kind of excited about something young and new and there's nothing too sexual about it. This is not Mandy Moore throwing it around like cats in a tornado. <laughs> this is Mandy Moore trying to say something lovely and warm. And I just think it's an underrated song. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you on any of that, but I think there's a lot of songs that have done th- all of those things better. Specifically, Katy Perry's Teenage Dream comes to mind. Sure. Uh, the, uh, even even if you take it down, Teenage Dream is a bit more of um, It's less airy than this song is. This song is just kind of cutting all the bass end out of the, uh, their acoustic guitars, and there's almost no bass in the song whatsoever. So, yeah, um, so now we're it, comparing these to extremes more than words? <laughs> yeah, this is... Oh, yeah, there we go. All right, I, okay, sure. Just to be the next to be with you, maybe. Um, I'm the one who wants to be. Yeah, okay. I just, I don't think this is something that people should rush back and revisit compared to like a Maya song. Like it's, uh, I probably made out with some cute boy. I, like I can I can actually see which cute boy it was on my then futon. I can guarantee you made out with a cute boy to this song. And, um, and I wasn't there. Like I'm sure this happened. On my futon. I was, I was so slick because I was like, oh no, it's not my bed right now. It's a couch. And like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I emotionally imprint on this song a little hard. Wow. Can I be real? Yeah, it is kind of interesting. Now that we're talking about this, and I know I'm going to go off topic and you should edit this completely out, but thinking about where I was in my life while talking about the songs in Volume 1 and now comparing them to this, and the fact that Volume 1 went back a little bit further than the point at which it was released. So Volume Mm -hmm. 1 not just captured that moment, which is that 7th grade, 8th grade period, but a little bit into 6th grade going back. Yeah. I'm at such a different place in my mentality in those two places that discussing them, there's a notable confidence difference and there's a notable reaction to the songs in a different way. I was much more about pain in the first one, uh, as I mentioned, but at this point, that's how you defined yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But at this point I'm like, show me the meaning of being lonely is really irritating. Jumping, jumping is awesome, man. I want to go get some at a club. Like that's a good point. It's really interesting how, as we shaped our vantage point changed. And the fact that I am so attached to something like I want to be with you, which is a little bit of the softer side compared to what I'm talking about here, where I'm saying how fascinated I was by the culture shock that was Maya's A Case of the X, the way that impacted me in a very different way. The fact that I want to be with you is something that I carry with me because I do appreciate Mandy Moore from that period where it was a little more okay to like uh, the girl groups because let's let's take it a step further. Now we're talking about second girl group records here. Lucky is off of Oops, I Did It Again. It's still Jessica Simpson's first record. This is Mandy Moore's second album. We're well into the craze. And in fact, we're at a point where it became uncool for teenage boys to like these artists in any way, but a pinup girl sexualized way. Oh, yeah, we're way past that point. Yeah. So what we're talking about now at this point is our shifting reaction to the same material. We're looking at some of the same artists and we're going to see them in different and similar ways. It's also really Mm -hmm. fascinating the way this now really does parallel the previous now. It does have another Everclear song. It does have another Janet Jackson song. 
instead of having Marcy Playground, it has Three Doors Down, which has a bit more mm-hmm. of a driving drum beat it, because that became more appropriate and alternative music sort of phased out. Lucky is sort of the last really overwhelming kind of uh, entry by Britney Spears. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Britney's album after this was In the Zone. Uh, whichever one has I'm a Slave for yeah. you on it, I think is next. Oh, then I think yeah. that's Britney. I think that's self-titled Britney. Yeah, but I was going to actually say I thought it had I'm a Slave for You on it. And I'm a Slave for You was her next single, and I actually thought it was a great song. It's a massive shift in what we've been talking about. You know, we're really entering a point where these artists are all going to have to shift the sound they make, and they're going to have to become something different because the idea of synthesized sugary pop is about to change. And artists are going to have to start having more personality without having too much personality and it's going to become a juggling act and music gets kind of lost in a sea of new names over and over again for a little while i don't think we saw superstars like adele and lady gaga for quite some time um no definitely not this is these artists trying to make that transition now jessica simpson didn't make that transition she had to make the jump to tv and then was able to have another hit through her tv show Mandy Moore is able to do uh, movies. She does a uh, Walk to Remember, which actually features four songs Mm -hmm. um, by her on the soundtrack. Cry. I really like Saved. Saved is. At least I remember really liking Saved. I like Saved a lot. I haven't seen it in years. I like American Dreams. Dreams with a Z. Um, Is that the one where it's like a parody of American Idol (laughs) and also like a parody of the Bush era? Yes. Okay. I specifically remember that movie being a big old pile of shit, but like. No, no, that's why I like it. It's a bad, bad film. Oh, okay. Even movies that are not good, like, I've never disliked Mandy Moore in anything. Like, I I watched about 15 minutes of that new show she's on, and I realized, like, okay, I, I, I really, this is not for me. No, but, like, not at all. At no point was there ever a time when I thought either of the leads were, like, bad in it. No, I'm kind of massively in love with Milo Ventimiglia. Well, we're Gilmore guys, so we are. of course we are. Oh my god, a year I don't know how we we barely oh, yeah, talked we still about haven't it. talked about it. And I have so many reactions to it and I'm I'm probably more positive on it than you are, but my criticisms are sharp and severe. Maybe that should be our 2016 recap segment. But I have to plug weird uh, things that no one's ever heard of. Oh yeah, that's true. Okay, so never mind. We'll just talk about it in the green room. Um, <laughs> so I feel like the Nick train. I feel like you've hit three shots in a row and you're on fire. Um, so let's keep that going and roll right into Janet Jackson's "Doesn't Really Matter." So you can just go on your tear. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Nico. Okay, so let's let's go back a little bit further. Janet Jackson, um, born Dem- Jan- uh, Demita Joe, Janet Demita Joe, was a really, really, f- she's a fascinating thing, and she's occasionally hard to discuss because no woman had ever accomplished what she'd accomplished in terms of her career. She had four albums that went better than 10 times platinum in a row, and that is just boggling to discuss. Um, her first two records were without any control of her own, so then she had four in a row that are considered just some of the greatest dance pop music ever. Control in 86, actually February 4th, 1986, I would know because we were born the same day. Then Rhythm Nation 1814, um, which was unique because it had number one singles three consecutive years in a row, 1989, 1990, and 1991. 1989 was Miss You Much, 1990 was... 
I want to say All Right, but it might have technically been Rhythm Nation in 1991 was Love Will Never Do Without You. So then <clears throat> she released Janet Period. She had her sexual revolution. It was a big deal. People had a problem with it. I, you know, I do think it, it's, it's hard for a woman to be sexual and taken seriously, but it's really hard for a black woman to be sexual and taken seriously be, because we get into so many different topics of how that goes and right. the, the critical backlash for this for this woman who had been considered a, a, a critical gem for so many years of her career uh, was really hard for her to accept and she had also had a secret marriage and a secret child and you know this was all weighing on her as a person she released the velvet rope which was an enormous response to her 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 deep depression and it was it was a confrontational cultural experience and i talked about it at length in the first record uh, in the first record <laughs> in the first podcast so i'm not going to mm-hmm. talk about it too much but to say that it was it was too real for america um, see volume one to listen to us talk a ton of sugar about uh together together again, again. she had a song called what about that um uh, what about on um, the Velvet Rope? And the lyrics are, what about the times you hit my face? What about the times you said no one would want me? What about all the times you said that you didn't fuck her? She only gave you head. Hmm. What about that? Like, it was a little too real for, for, for America to come from Janet Jackson, to come from the safe black darling who who had graced TV screens since childhood and sang with her amazing brother. And look what he's doing. Oh, God, what's happened to Michael Jackson now? It was it was such a hard shift, um, and it it reached a point where Janet Jackson was hard to put in households anymore. And it she had gotten so far from who we knew to be Janet Jackson, even despite the sexual awakening and even despite this the 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 mental breakdown and, and the need to feel real special, as she says in the songs on the record. So then, do you think that her insertion into what is basically kids' movies was a purposeful thought? Yes, I think this was an attempt to reclaim that market, but she wasn't ready to really do that. So we have doesn't really matter and doesn't really matter was was sort of the return to Janet having fun with her music. But one of my my biggest problems with it is it's maybe the most it's maybe the most mixed down she's ever been in her music and this is the same woman who's barely lyrically audible on All Rights Radio edit. You can hear Heavy D louder than her and he's just the guest rapper. Is some of that because of its inclusion on a, like I said, a soundtrack for what is ostensibly a kid's movie? Like, it's fucking Eddie Murphy in a fat suit. Like, do you think part of that is this being, I don't know if it was the credit song, but I know it was a a big selling point of um, the soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, I I actually think this was just a return to a more classic Janet sound. So they mixed her vocals down really far like they used to before she became... They are really far down, yeah. It's it's hard to even understand what the lyrics are. You can just kind of go... Unconditional love, and you're fine. Like, no one knows what she's saying in this song. I think it's a pretty good Janet song for the most part. It it has it has a lot of what makes the song All For You, her next single, a hit as well. Except that song, she talks about riding a guy's big package right off the bat. I mean, the first line of the song is, got a nice package, all right, because I'm going to have to ride it tonight. That's sort of where she loses it again, and she gets too sexual. So this is sort of... The one sweet spot returned to the kind of 1980s sound that made her a superstar that you're going to get until uh, 2015's Unbreakable. Um, <clears throat> this is really the last safe moment. It's also an incredibly expensive music video. It, uh, it, it made its money back in terms of, of how much the song cost and, and the video cost. But this, is a, this really is, is, a, is a high point for her in a low era of her career. So then do you think, like, we're four years from Nipplegate, ugh, 
to say, I hate even saying that. Do you think that then is a response to her like going back to like is she oscillating between public perception on purpose? Like, I think, like is she is she reacting to a, where she was put and then reacting to that and then reacting to that? So it all kind of comes back to how far you want to go into the to the psychology that is Janet Jackson. If you want to take a look at some of the public statements she made about 1990 or so, she had said she was already at work on her next record because there had been an accusation after Control that for a record that was called Control, and she says the lyrics, because it's all about control and now I've got a lot of it. A bunch of songs weren't written by her. They were written by uh, two of the greatest producers of all time, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. And uh, then she did Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation 1814. Um, And again, there were tracks she wasn't even involved in the production of. Janet, period, is a response to that. She at least co-wrote every single track on it. And she had said before releasing Janet, period, Uh, while touring Rhythm Nation, she had said that she had begun to really think about what she wanted to write in songs and it was getting more sexual. And you could actually see that and you could track it in her development. Janet Period is exceptionally sexually explicit down to songs being called things like Throb. She had said that, you know, sex was really important to her. Sex was some part of who she was. And as a person who, I'll I'll be real, as a person who deals with depression, you know, I know that people can metabolize a, a, a response to sex in different ways. And I think... We are seeing this woman play out this large-scale emotional breakdown over the course of 15 years on the world stage. And I think it's a very expensive emotional breakdown when you have $2.5 million music videos. Yeah. And it is very – it is a very complicated thing to talk about because how do you talk about this very personal thing that happened to this woman? She had one of the most critically lauded careers and then she became – critic public enemy number one and first she wasn't black enough for america and then you know for black america and then she was too black for white america and this is a moment where she had had some distance from what she'd been doing uh she had some space from the velvet rope and some time to heal herself a bit and she was back to acting which is something she'd always loved and i think you saw her try to hit that moment that that perfect 80s glam janet it just wasn't where she was it was a nice fun thing to do but it just wasn't where she was so then for you is this a case of like it's a bad janet jackson song but even a bad janet jackson song is like better than most of what's on the radio at the time i think it's a great janet jackson song but a bad representation of the era it was released ah okay yeah this is a this is a great track i think uh i wish her vocals were a little bit up but i think it's a great track I won't disagree with that. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a good one. I'm quick to rail against key changes when they're out of place. This one flows pretty well, and uh, I, it doesn't um, distract me from the fact like they're doing something for the sake of doing it to distract you from the fact that they're doing like four choruses in the row because they have nothing left. That is actually a huge Janet trope. I too hate the key change. I think I think unnecessarily mo- I think unnecessary modulation is the enemy of all good men. Uh, and Janet does have a habit of having longer songs by being rep- uh, being repetitive. But the thing I really re- appreciate about the key change in this song is that other things go on while it's happening. Yeah. Um, Janet has this terrible habit of laughing in her music. Yeah, she does. She, she giggles a lot. She thinks she's just so adorable. And uh, I think that's a dangerous thing. She's just Janet. And this is really Janet Gold, man. Let's move on now. You, you got to soapbox for a little while about Manny Moore and Jan Jackson. So 
I'm going to soapbox here uh, about BB Max back here. Wait, BB Mac, who I saw perform live in in the in uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios. I know I have a story about everything. You just want to punch me in the face sometimes. No, you know what? Fine, I'll soapbox about the next song that I have. No, no, no that's about. that's 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 like half of my that's half of my story. That's it. I saw them perform live. I really liked them. They had good music. That's it. Well, you jacked my joke because my joke was just going to be that I had literally nothing to say about the song because it's a big. I'm pile so of sorry. I actually no, I think the song is great. No, 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 wait. How is this a big pile of nothing? They actually played their own instruments. Somebody. Okay, so I was going to say that the, all right, this band is clearly a band that relies on the fact that. Their marketing genius would say, wait, they're a boy band, but they play their own instruments. That is all that they have. Right down to the end of this video, them doing this bullshit acapella chorus. Like, fuck you, first off. You don't get to... I'm not impressed by your pre-recorded acapella, you fucking mannequin-looking tools. And just because you play some guitars does not elevate you above an InSync or even a Backstreet Boy. Even though, like, 14-year-old me probably would have taken that stand. But it's wrong. It is incorrect. The fact that they can strum a G chord does not make them better musicians. That is correct. Um, they're just a cute band. I mean, they, they harmonize pretty well. They harmonize on par with an NSYNC. Uh, this is not a good example of that. You know, this, this song, in many ways, is the Evan and Jaren crazy for this girl of its time. This is a really bad example of BB Mac. If you want a better example of BB Mac, people check out "I Can Tell." That's a really spectacular. I don't. I don't want a better example. Um, uh, <laughs> this uh, is a uh, clear case of now being um, a British invention and that yes. leaking over. Because there, I don't think BB Mac ever was popular in America. Maybe they had a, a brief jaunt. This, this with... song was pretty legit. Yeah, uh, they had one other after this. Let's see. Where did this chart? Um, U.S. Top 100. It charted at 33. Okay. More than I would have guessed. It's just so bland, and we're we're in the business of bland music. This is just so so studio it, is the word. That it's jumps a pale imitation of the song after it for sure. Do you want to try to defend this any further? I because I, we could jump right into that song. Well, no. I mean, here's what I'll say about BB Max back here, and it, it, just kind of in general. Um, one of the things that sucks is no one ever wants to be told, oh, you're just someone else, something else. That's that's something, and I know, you know, Chris and I are both, um, oh, God, dude, I hope I didn't just sell you out. Edit that out if I did. Uh, but I write, and, you know, one of the things that, as a writer, you have to do is you have to have other writer friends. That's that's really important because other people don't necessarily always get the emotional struggle of being a writer. There's nothing quite like hating yourself for not being able to write something that no one's asking you for. <laughs> and... Yep. um you know, you need other writer friends who understand that. And something I come down really hard on all of my writer friends are on when they're, I'm like, oh, so, yo, you've got a new project. Tell me what it's about. And they're like, well, it's kind of like if you take this writer and this writer and you cross them with this writer. I'm mm. like, no, no, stop telling me who you want to be. Tell me who the you elevator are. pitch. Yeah. But like an ele- a good elevator pitch says something about who you are, not who you wish you were. And true. Too many people define themselves by their inspirations and forget to define themselves by who they are. But kind of what I'm getting at is 
no one grows up and says, oh, I want to be told I'd sound just like this other band. You, you think you have a more unique sound, even if you're inspired by them. You want to believe that you sound unique. You got to assume the guys from BB Mac were just like mates out of Liverpool and they just <laughs> have a guitar and a dream. Just six strings and hope for tomorrow. And you have to assume that that's what they had in their hearts. And, you know, back here is an example of a market taking advantage of people wanting to spend money and not being willing to come up with new content. Yeah, no one gets into music thinking, I can get into this game, have a hit, and then uh, make a whole bunch of money real fast and then play state fairs for the rest of my life. Like, no one, no one's going into music thinking that. Uh, I think the worst thing you can say about BB Mac is they were three guys who wanted to make music and got to. Yes, and I question if someone didn't find them because of their chiseled faces and their high cheekbones, if... This is the music they ever thought about making when they first picked up their guitars. I'm going to guess no. The artists that seem to, you know, I, I know so many artists that are like, yeah, like Robin, Robin Konnichiwa. If you don't like Robin, you need to, you just, you, you don't deserve happiness. So um, she's the killingest pop star on the planet. And she speaks pretty ill of her early R&B infused 90s work. She doesn't really talk positively about her career till she was more in charge of it. So you know, Mandy Moore shitting on this on these days of her career. Robin being willing to shit on these days of her career. You know, I just wish I could be like, hey, BB Mac, I know you didn't have too much career after this, but would you shit on those days? Those are probably the best days of their lives. Yeah. Like, good for, like, we've talked about it before. Would you rather have a hit or no hits? And the answer is a hit. And I think these guys were probably way the fuck bigger in the UK um, than they were in America. So they probably didn't just have hits. Uh, I think they probably did just fine for themselves. They made a lot of pounds or British sterling or whatever their money is these days. Uh, Queen days. coins. Yeah. British bitcoins. <laughs> so don't worry about BB Mac. They're doing just fine. Uh, but that doesn't mean, uh, in my opinion, that this song is worth listening to again. That is fair. So let's move on to a song that should be listened to every chance you get. Oh, or uh, from the other perspective, should be forgotten immediately. This is Nine Days, Story of a Girl. I've got a question. This morning, did you wake up and drink bile? Why do you have no joy inside of you? I, so I thought this was, I don't remember what song we did on a previous now that I thought was this song and then it wasn't that song. And I was like, well, this song is way worse anyway. Oh, it was She's So High. I was like, I thought this song was just Story oh, of a Girl. By Tal and, Bachman, yeah. son of what's his name, Bachman Buzz. from Bachman Turner Overdrive. I thought that was this song, and it wasn't. And I guess I'm a little happier that it wasn't. Like, this song is uh, slightly better than that. Uh, but that's not that impressive. This song does not do a lot for me. It's This is a 2000 song that feels like a late 90s song. Fascinatingly enough, this is the first song to be the first single by a band to hit number one since the Spice Girls. By a, wait, say again, by a band? This is the first song by a group, not a solo artist, by a group to hit number one as their first single since oh, the Spice Girls Wannabe. As, as their first single. Okay. I, I, yeah. As their first single. I couldn't imagine that like NSYNC didn't have one, but that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so first and last for nine days, which is um, the amount of time that a lazy ghost that died in a well uh, gives you to live. So absolutely story of a girl. Okay, so here's the thing about this song. 
It is every song like it at the time. Uh, it's just better. Uh, well, why? I think Train did this song better on their list on the on Now 4 with Hey Virginia or Meet Virginia. I, I don't like really – I only like one Train album and that's it. And that's not it. So – this sounds like a band you would hear in a bar. Like, there's nothing about this song that stands out. They're not a good rock band. They're not a good pop band. They're not an interesting mixture of both. No, they're like male Michelle Branch. Oh, yeah, that's good. But mm, I like Michelle Branch way more than I like this. Right. But I like that uh, a couple of other songs on the album were pretty good, too. Yeah, but we're not talking about the album. We're talking about Story of a Girl, which is the parentheses. Uh, the song is called Absolutely for some reason. Um, I don't think that word comes up in this song. Oh, I absolutely, love I absolutely her love her. Yeah, when she smiles. Yeah, that's um, how forgettable the hook in this song is. I don't agree. I think everybody can go. This is the story of a girl. No, I think everybody does it. Yeah, yeah. but a song can't think- just be the hook. I mean, unless it's the song "Hook" by Blues by Blues Traveler, because uh, or maybe maybe that song is proof that it can't just be the hook. I think "Get This Party Started" is just a hook. I think a lot of pop songs are just the hook, but a lot of pop songs so why can't this are one forgettable. Be? Like, this song is completely forgettable. This song is, like, like, you forget about this song the minute it's finished. And then one day someone what? goes, hey, remember mm. that, uh, that She's So High song? And you go, oh, the story of a girl? And they go, no. And then you go, oh, oh, yeah, I guess I do remember that. You know what? I'll give you, I'll give you this. this. I have positive memories for the song. I don't think it aged well, but... I could see it being used in American Reunion 2 <laughs> trailer. Absolutely. So I guess but what is, in that regard, you're right. What is this song about? Um, and that's the problem with it. It's a bunch of disparate ideas from songs that did this better, like mashed into one, one, well, one no. song. So the song is about – so the chick is super sad. How many days in the year did she wake up with, for hope but she only found tears? And then this guy's not always so great. He can be super insincere. He's making her promises never for real. As long as she stands there, something about shoes, something – your clothes look bad tomorrow. But she's really pretty and she's really happy and she's just had a hard life. And I love it when she smiles. I should be better to her because she's great. It's like – it's oh, that makes it the ultimate good guy anthem. Yeah, Ugh. hey, why why you look so sad, girl? You're too, you're too pretty to be sad. Smile. Okay, on the topic of this song, okay, there's there's here's something I need to say. If you are over the age of sixteen and you are male and single and straight, I highly recommend listening to me for five seconds, guys. If you're posting, I'm so nice. Why does she never call me back? Kind of statuses. That's why. This song, <laughs> I guess this song is that. It's kind of like, oh, I do love her when she smiles. I mean, it's kind of that nice guy vertical horizon thing that we talked about on uh, volume one, but it's like it's slightly less insidious than that and just more pathetic. Yeah, you know, I guess there is something about there's 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 things we can say in music that when we take them apart they become creepy and one of the things that's magical about music is it takes us away and it makes certain things all right to say stings every breath you take is going to forever be remembered as a really romantic song about stalking yeah 
but we've all heard it the wrong day when the wrong person won't text us back, and we've all kind of gotten that pinch in the bottom of our stomach. If you really think about Adele's lyrics sometimes, you will notice they are incredibly not things you should do. You should never do an Adele song. Do you know what happens when you do the things in Adele songs? You go to jail, right? We just mentioned Michelle Branch. Uh, Everywhere is a song about being obsessed with somebody. Yeah, and to an unhealthy extent. And these are things that we say are okay in music. And I don't think that the guys in Nine Days are kind of legitimately like, if she doesn't smile, she has no worth. I think. No, absolutely not. I don't think they. I think maybe the Vertical Horizon dudes were, but I don't think the Nine Days guys meant that with this song. No. You know, and there's always that weird thing where you have that friend that's like, isn't that so romantic? And you're like, no. And they're like, how don't you see how that's romantic? And you're like, no. And they're like, no, yeah. it's really like, if, you know, I'm so good for you. If you can't see that, then maybe you should be alone. How don't you see how that's romantic? And I'm like, no. Like, there's that thing where it's okay to sing it and feel it, but it's not a real feeling you should have. And this song is one right. of those things. He's kind of like, yeah, life's pretty hard for you, and I'm not always that great to you. I should be better to you. Smile for me, baby. And like, I can't imagine. Yeah, he's never saying when when she smiles at me or like uh, when I'm with her. Right. She smiles. It's just like I'm looking at her in pictures that I took across the street from the apartment that I rented. Yeah. It's like, you know, oh, they kicked me out of the apartment, but I got this awesome motel. It's kind of a tent on the roof of your building. And I climbed on the fire escape. Check out this telescopic lens on my camera. Right. Right? It, it, it is a little bit, um, you know, shh, sneak out when they're not looking. Yeah, this song, the worst we can say about it is everything we just said about it, so... To me, this, this does remind me a lot of Meet Virginia, because it's kind of about this guy's ideal of a woman, which like, puts it in this weird, like, gross, manic pixie dream girl kind of state. Uh, and I just think that one did it in a way that felt more genuine and less, like we kind of said, nice guy, tip of the fedora, m'lady. Mm, that's beautiful. Um, yeah, you know, can you, uh, we all know that nice guy, you know what I mean? That guy who's who's always like, I, I always text them, and I'm always like, so nice to them. And like, I don't know why they just won't call me back. I don't, I just, I don't know why she only dates assholes when I'm right here, just waiting. Yeah, that's, no, no, she doesn't date assholes, she dates guys she's attracted to. The only asshole is the person telling somebody who they should be attracted to. Like, this song goes in that category, but just in the slightest way. It's that category adjacent, really. It's sort of like that category and this song have lockers next to each other, so they talk sometimes, but they really wouldn't normally talk outside of school. It's just a convenience thing, so when that other guy doesn't show up, don't ask them where they are. This is this song is the guy that might grow up to be okay and be like, oh man, when I was young, I was really stupid. It's not the guy that grows up to be faded soul decision. Hey, yeah, blam, brought it back around. Yeah, this you know, I kind of will admit I am frequently going through nows, being like, mm, consent. Like, there's a lot of stuff in music that is a little bit. There's a lot of stuff in music that's kind of grab you by the pussy, and it's kind of really disconcerting and really upsetting. I. uh you know, so much of pop music is based on physical ownership of other people, and it, it, it's objectifying and, and kind of turns people into meat. Like, 
you know, for those of you who have ever had a dating app installed or for those of you who are gay, so of course you have one of the social apps that is for friendship. We we all know that guy who clicks and is like, hi, and you're like, hey, and they reply, dick pic, and half of it is spelled incorrectly. I, I The more we go through these Which nows. Which one, dick or pick? Both. I'm not making that up. Um, he spells the emoji wrong. <laughs> it's eggplant, but it's just got one G, so there's a hole in it. <laughs> um, I'm kind of realizing how much of pop music is uh, just sending eggplant emojis back and forth, and it's uh, a little unsettling. Well, stay tuned approximately 40 episodes from now when we talk about Blurred Lines. Uh, but for now, we're going to talk about... Oh, go ahead. Oh, just, you know, I... Blurred Lines, you know... Poor, number one, poor Robin Thicke. He just lost his father. Uh, you know, poor guy. I think what's really interesting about talking about Blurred Lines is the person who doesn't get enough blame for their involvement in Blurred Lines is Pharrell. Who's I thought first... you were going to say Marvin Gaye. <laughs> he doesn't get enough credit for his involvement. But um, Pharrell's first song was Rump Shaker. Here we just covered that he was featured in Shake Your Ass. Mm-hmm. How come Pharrell, who co-wrote Blurred Lines, which sounds just like a Pharrell song, mind you, doesn't get any attention for that. I think it's because we're too busy juxtaposing that work with songs like Beautiful by Snoop Dogg and Happy from whatever movie it was. Yeah, that was right around the same time. Right. The guy who did Happy can't be the guy who's doing Bro Rape Anthem. Right. And that's that's what it becomes. It, it, it becomes we're able to to hold on to some ideals and, and let go of others and we can compare and contrast. And, oh, no. Yeah. Janet had that bad couple of years. But look, she just did this song where she's normal again. She's OK. Don't worry about it. Oh, nope. There she's talking about packages. There really is something inherently ownership based about a lot of the pop music we are covering in this era. Like, you know, people ownership, sexual ownership, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now to three songs that have nothing to do with that. Yeah, but <laughs> the next song is Superman by Three Doors Down. And possibly more than any song on this now... You know this song. This song still gets used in uh, commercials and movie trailers. And uh, when you're shopping for produce, this will almost definitely come up in the supermarket. Yeah. It's just a, it's a universal, inoffensive song that I think is a little slightly more interesting than people remember it as. Um, I like it more now than I did then. But I still think it's only uh, a fine song. When I hear this song, I think about the transitional birth of postmodern rock in our high school era. It was cool to like Limp Biscuit when we were in middle school in yes. eighth, in like eighth grade, but by ninth grade, it was not cool to like Limp Biscuit. So, think about the other things that went along with with that. So we're coming up on Stained and it's been a while. We're coming up. Yeah, we're coming up on Slip. (laughs) You know, it's uh, it's the return to the Eddie Vedder growl. Oh, yeah. We're coming up on things like Fuel. And we're coming up on uh, 
Slipknot's more disturbed disturbed right we're about to come up on a very different kind of rock and kryptonite might be one of the first entries that sounds like it could still be in that genre um i definitely call this song superman more than i call it kryptonite but there was another song from around this time that's really and we were talking about i can't stand to fly i'm only a bird nor furniture why did anybody like that song Ooh, I don't know. That is Superman. This is Kryptonite. Uh, I yes. screw that up a lot. Um, Superman by Five for Fighting is um, an awful, awful piece of music. Uh, Kryptonite by Three Doors Down is a catchy postmodern rock song. I like that riff quite a bit. Um, I like the, the, the syncopated drum beats. <laughs> yeah, it's got a little bit of a gallop to it. Yeah. Um, I think the lead singer from Three Doors Down has a pretty terrific vocal personality. I don't know that this is necessarily the greatest performance I've ever heard in my life, but... They slap about 30 layers of reverb on him. I don't know if that's supposed to be, like, the for the tone of the song, but, uh, oh boy, he sounds like he's singing in an empty church. It sort of sounds like he's singing somewhere that, uh, Marble Hornets would have shot. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it's in a really big swimming pool. No one knows why. <laughs> um, you know, this song, though, gave birth to um, a career for these guys. They they did pretty well across um, three or four albums. They were good southern boys making poppy rock. Uh, mm-hmm. They... They had a decent career for themselves. I don't. I don't know that uh, there's more or less you could say about that. The song's still catchy. People still recognize it when it comes on. People know yeah. all the words, or at least know all the syllabic words. You know, there's songs that you just accept. You might not know the words, but you'd be like, "You call me strong, you honey, mm-hmm. your secrets." I, will I think that's meet. the best. That exact part is the best song of the song. Uh, the best. That exact part, I think, is the best part of the song coming out of that uh, bridge between the chorus and the next verse. Uh, going into that verse, I think that is the highlight of the song, more so than the chorus, even. Oh, for me, it's the bridge into the um, into the, the the final chorus when it is the kryptonite, mm. yeah, like that's pretty that's pretty awesome. That's like, the karaoke uh, moment right there. Yeah, I, I did karaoke face, so you know you know it's true. Ooh ooh ooh. Um, yeah, this uh, the video is pretty stupid. Um, oh, the video is like the video scooped Tim and Eric for its ability to cast like creepy old people that make you uncomfortable and put them in weird situations. Uh, not too much going on. Um, it's it's a forgettable song. It's a good song by a kind of forgettable band. What's interesting, and I don't know if this is where the band got its name from, but the phrase three doors down is said like ten times in X Files. Interesting. Yeah, I noticed it the last time I did an X-Files Complete Watch. Huh. Yeah, that tells so, you I've done more than one. I uh, I have some information from the uh, Wikipedia Britannica, and uh, apparently the lead singer has spoken on how this song came to be written. And uh, buckle in for this. Uh, and I quote, That song seems like it's really just kind of like asking a question. Its question is kind of a strange one. It's not just asking, if I fall down, will you be there for me? Because it's easy to be there for someone when they're down. But it's not always easy to be there for somebody when they're doing good. And that's the question it's asking. It's like, if I go crazy, will you still call me Superman? It's asking, if I'm down, will you still be there for me? But at the same time, if I'm alive and well, will you be there holding my hand? That's kind of asking, 
if I'm doing good, will you be there for me? Will you not be jealous of me? That's the basic question that song's asking. And maybe throughout the years of singing that song, I might have come up with more meanings for it than it actually might have originally had. <laughs> and thus ends the worst four minutes of VH1's storytellers in history. So I want to I want to say so the guy's talking about how when he was seventeen he was doing it with an eighteen no um, oh wait no wrong one right no uh yeah that definitely sounds to me like a meaning he came up with down the road and reversed and put in there because for the most part it does sort of sound like nonsense good placement it is very much talking circles he says the same nothings about three times each yeah this yeah. is a song that. I think it fits perfectly in that karaoke, like, comes on the jukebox at a dive bar, but, like, a dive bar in Jersey where it's people just playing 90s music and not, like, weird, like, 60s songs. And you're like, okay, I guess I'm okay with this. Or, like, being an on-disc track in, like, one of the rock band clones, like, that's where this song fits and it's fine and I'm okay with that. Uh, And I don't hate this song. And its longevity is surprising, but... Not not unexpected, yeah. Not not un not under yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly that. I think that you just said the difference between New Jersey and Twin Peaks is that we just play '90s music. Yeah. All right. As now does they kind of back end their rock, and we're moving on to a band that we are familiar with, Everclear with Wonderful. I apologize to you, though you were not there on volume, uh, I believe it was two or three, where on volume one, you mentioned that lead singer Art Alexis was uh, arrested for domestic abuse. Alexis. I cut that because I couldn't verify it. Uh, and the big reason was because I couldn't spell his last name, but it is totally true. Yeah. Yeah. Domestic abuse. Yeah. Dark shit. Yeah. And he kind of hand, not hand waved it uh, in the interview that you sent me. He kind of owned it, but he also was like, I was also on a shitload of heroin at the time. But I still feel like the guy who did that doesn't get to write Father of Mine. Yeah, and I got a question for you. Or this song, for that matter. Like, I don't know about you, but I was under the impression that heroin sort of, like, mellowed you out. Yeah, you could barely beat your own dick when you're on heroin, let alone beat someone up. <clears throat> yeah, so I'm kind of like, I'm like, dude... Why? I didn't I didn't know horse made you beat your wife. Yeah. Well, Father of Mine was a hit, and I think these were on the same album. I'm not 100% sure. But it's like someone said to him, uh, one of his songwriter friends was like, oh, man, that song where you, like, are really sad about your childhood and your dad uh, was great and really moving. And he went, cool. So instead of a, a song where I just blame my dad for how fucked up I am as an adult, I'll blame my mom and my dad. Well, it's important to note that this is their highest charting song. I can absolutely see that. This is not as psychiatrist's couch as Father of Mine. And it's a little catchier, a little poppier. So I can absolutely see this doing better in sales than either of those. Yeah, um, it's just another whiny man problem song. Oh, yeah. It's a song that's hard to have much to say about because we tore into him so savagely already yeah um you know this poor guy at least he's not from mercy playground um yeah 
if they had a second track, I would just do an apology reel. So I don't just, have anything against art, but I just... I, I wouldn't be his friend. No, he would definitely be the drunk guy at a party who talked to you about the saddest shit, and you're just like, dude, I want to... I'm just I trying to have wanna, a good time, man. I'm just trying to have a good I'd time. Rather, I, I'd rather go outside and, in the 14-degree in the weather and smoke a cigarette alone than do this anymore. Dude, yeah, no. You know it's bad when you're like, yeah, I um, I got to go get frostbite. Uh, <laughs> but he's cornered you. Like, you're cornered and the other two people have walked away already and it's just you and him. I just kind of grab my stomach and go, oh, I don't think something's agreeing with me. Got to go and run. It's super navel-gazy, like, more so than, uh, like, any individual artist that maybe I've ever heard. Yeah, it's, I mean, he's, he's sort of stuck on his problems. Yes. Yeah, I just wouldn't put up with that shit at a party. I'd be the guy who keeps calling him out on his bullshit over and over again, publicly, loudly, in front of other people, so he had no choice but to own it. I'd be that guy. Yeah. Because and I, I don't... Sorry, go ahead. No, because I, I, I think this is just another whiny man pain song. Yeah, and how do you go to a show? And, like, it's one thing to go to a show and, uh, like, go to see the Smiths and be like, all right, or, uh, like, or Morrissey. Like, okay, all these songs are going to be whiny man stuff. But, like, there's an art to that. No pun intended. And Everclear, it's just like you're going to go to a show and be like, oh... Here comes three songs in a row about his dad and his childhood. Like, that's not... Uh, like, no one's signing up for that, man. Except German metal fans. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I have trouble listening to Everclear. I can identify why focus groups might have said, yeah, this is fine for the radio. Uh, and a large part of that is because focus groups listen to, like, the first 15, minutes of a, uh, first 15 seconds of a song. But, like, I don't want to listen to this. I would say... Art Everclear is Lear. Art Everclear. <laughs> Art Everclear is uh, <laughs> uh, Art Everclear is the name of uh, a secret booze baron during Prohibition. Right. Everclear's lyrics are sort of what the guy from Placebo sounds like. Ah, like just like that. It's the, it's the shrieking part of Man in a Box turned into an entire human. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Some of the lyrics in that song are hard to take seriously. Side note. Man in the Box are wonderful. Both. Yeah. But Man in a Box in particular. I just, I feel bad that we've hammered on Everclear so hard every time they've been on because their music is as inoffensive as, you know, Kryptonite, but just the content uh, puts it on another level of nasal gazy, um, like self, uh, self-deprecate, not self-deprecation, but like uh, self-pity. That can yeah, you know what? Doesn't their music all kind of sounds like "Settle with Me"? Yeah, like this is a guy that he, you know what? Like this guy definitely thinks that he's a nice guy, but doesn't outwardly like verbalize it. No, but that's what "I'll Buy You a New Life" is. Yeah, it's what all of their songs are. Like, you're signing up for a, a lifetime of baggage with this guy. Everyone is yep. his psychiatrist. Never gonna get from it under my dad. <laughs> Never gonna get out from under my problems. Yeah, kind of. Uh, well, we're gonna move on to the last track on this now. Boo! No! Never! And uh, 
hometown boy. Boo! As two kids who grew up in Sayreville, New Jersey, we are not... Who are constantly told you would never be this person. We are legally uh, restricted from speaking ill about Bon Jovi's It's My Life. But we're going to do it anyway. This song sounds like he didn't realize that the 80s were over and not in a charming, cute way, not in a Carly Rae Jepsen, let me do some 80s throwback way. Kind of like he was just like, I really need to be taken seriously again. Please help me be taken seriously again. If I get the perm back, will it help? What if my hair is really gross and stringy? I'm not even a Bon Jovi hater. He's done a lot of good for the town and he wasn't bad on Ally McBeal, but uh, growing up in this town, you heard a lot of... Living on a prayer, yep, and dead or alive, and always, and then this. Did you know that uh, Bon Jovi grew up in this town? Yeah, no, I, I know, I, I'm aware. Uh, I still don't care. There were teachers, I swear to God, that were younger than him that were like, I taught Bon Jovi. My friend's mother uh, graduated from high school the same year as him, and uh, if he comes up, like she'll never bring him up. If he comes up, she's just like, God, he was such a dick. Apparently, Richie Sambora was all right, though. And that's cool, because Richie Sambora is kind of my favorite member of Bon Jovi. because oh, he was married to he-, he was married to Heather Locklear. He also plays that Peter Frampton uh, synthesizer vape, or whatever. <laughs> Richie Sambora plays the Frampton vape, okay? Yes. I don't know, in yes. the video, he's, like, sucking a pipe. Like, what? What is it? I don't know. I know that Frampton does that same thing, uh, but I, I still don't know what instrument that is. Is that is that a theremin? I've always heard what a, of the, the <laughs> instrument theremin and don't know what that actually is. So I just assume it's the, the crazy straw voice modulator or whatever. Well, here's the thing that I kind of want to know. How come nobody calls Bon Jovi out on the weird noises in his songs? Like in um, Living on a Prayer... That's the same thing! Yeah, and then in this one... It, wow, wow. Like this is literally a sequel to Living on a Prayer. This is like you know how we're getting Anchorman two and Blade Runner two and all of this stuff that no one asked for. This is that. This is the twenty year later sequel. They even reference Living on a Prayer in this song. Yeah, that that bothers me. You know, like it's. I the other thing I really don't like about this song, and this is just me, but like Frankie said, I did oh, it my way. Yeah, the Frank Sinatra name drop is just like. How Jersey are you trying to be, man? And even setting the video in what looks to be the Lincoln and or Holland Tunnel. Yeah, I mean, like, when he says that, like, I just imagine a diner's going to fall out of his ass. Like, it's, like, if you're just trying to shit Jersey all over me, just shit Jersey all over me. Just talk to me about what exit you're from and get it over with. But, like, please stop talking to me about how Jersey you are. I get that you are. You know, there was that weird period in time where nobody cared about Bon Jovi and he released music as John Bon Jovi and he had Midnight in Chelsea and nobody gave a shit. Or he and acted. Sort of thi- oh, or he acted. In, in direct-to-video sort of action movies. And also Ally McBeal. Was he painted her house. Am I wrong in thinking that Richie Sambora is married to someone who was on Ally McBeal? No, no Richie Place. Sambora was... 
Yeah, Melrose Place. Okay. He was married to Heather Locklear, yes. who was on Melrose Place, with Courtney Thorne Smith, who was on both Melrose Place and Ally McBeal. Oh man, we figured it out. And then how does that? Uh, how does Bon Jovi get to Kevin Bacon? They're both in shitty rock bands. <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked if they were just like both in like Hollow Man Four. <laughs> yeah, Hollow, Hollow, Hollowier than Thou. <laughs> In in the third sequel to Hollow Man, John Bon Jovi's scientist character finds the Kevin Bacon character's uh, synthetic drug that turns him into an invisible rapist man. Now he can hollow and echo. I don't even know how he does it, but he can echo now. He and, can uh, be in multiple places really slowly. They only know when the Hollow Man is around because everywhere he walks while in invisible form, it goes, wall, wall. <laughs> He's always referencing himself. I don't hate Bon Jovi. Uh, I think at all, but I think yeah. it, it's elevated to the, because of other people. But I think it still fills that same niche of like it's slightly above Kryptonite, where I said that was like an occasional karaoke song, uh, rip off rock band on disc track. This is like Bon Jovi has made his way to like actually being on the disc for Rock Band Two, and Bon Jovi. Is gets karaoke by people who can actually sing sometimes. Uh, the f- you ever hear a song and you're like, wait, that's popular? And you're like confused if the song is a joke or not? That's what half of this podcast is. Yeah. Uh, the first time I heard this, I was like, oh my God, that's funny. I, that Wow. Oh, he made an eight. What do you mean people like it? And like, it was popular for months and I was sort of shocked it's like i i can't imagine how it feels to not like adele right now but it must suck that's how it felt to not like bon jovi growing up in this town just because of when the, this, like they're ubiquitous kind of yeah that you can't avoid it everybody name drops yeah. it all day every day john bon jovi made his way into every yearbook in cereval one way or another whether by quote or or reference or lyric or song at the prom. Well, I mean, I feel that way just from growing up in New Jersey and not being the biggest Bruce Springsteen fan. Same! But the thing is, I will also say objectively, Bruce Springsteen is better than Bon Jovi. And you know who knows that more than anyone else? Fucking Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi, yeah. Uh, It would be, you know, know, I don't don't particularly care for Bruce Springsteen. I think he's got some good stuff, but like, uh, it's not my thing. It's just not really my thing. And uh, Bon Jovi, I'm just like, oh, yeah, he was popular. It's not my thing. Like, <laughs> You get me drunk, know. though, and I will sing Wanted Dead or Alive uh, at the top of my lungs in a dive bar. Don't get me wrong. Like, And that's just the test of time kind of thing. But I feel like there's other things I'd probably get to first. Uh, uh, all, all or Nothing by O-Town? Burn. Uh, no, like we did that together. Like, like don't, don't, don't worry. Like, I'm right there with you. No, 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 no. I, 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 I do like... love to mention the the drunk your drunk birthday that none of us. I think it came up on episode one too. Your drunk birthday that none of us can remember, but we apparently sang "O Town's All or Nothing." Uh, there's a video of it, and I've seen it, and I, you know, we're like, so your parents tell you a story, and you pos- you can't possibly remember it, but when you tell it, you can imagine yourself in your own eyes, even though you can't remember the story, and you just remember being told it. Yeah, like suddenly your memory is in third person and you're like, how did that happen? Yeah, I can't even do that for that. <laughs> for that video of karaoke, I cannot even get there. I am just like, that happened to a person. Oh, there I am. Okay. Uh, that was a yeah. good birthday. But no, I mean, 
I just meant that there were other songs I'd go to before this in terms of the classic rock scream. If I'm drunk, I'll probably be like, oh, Piano Man. I'm still standing. Well, karaoke-wise, I'd rather karaoke, like, 80s songs, even though this isn't an 80s song, but it is an 80s song. I would rather hear someone do this than um, Don't Stop Believing" at this point. But that's less about the quality of the songs and more about just the culture of karaoke and how much that song has become canonized. Um, despite the fact no one in the world uh, who is doing karaoke should be singing Don't Stop Believing" in public. That's one of those interesting things where, like, there's just people who, like... You know the phrase, oh, don't be a dick. Oh, don't be a dick exists for a reason. Mm-hmm. There's that moment where you see that person walking up to the mic and you're like, why are they walking like that? What does that look on their face? And then you look at the screen and you see those words and you're... And that and you're, piano starts. And you and see you, that the time says like five minutes. Yeah. And you're like, why did they do it? Is this their first time at karaoke? Is this their first time at karaoke? And then they start talking over it. Over the dun, 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 and they start talking over it and they're like, hey everybody, it's actually my friend's birthday and I just brought them out for karaoke and I just want to sing my favorite song to karaoke to them. Happy birthday, Sheila. I hope you like my song. And then the guy just starts belting, don't stop believing, and you're like... And I'm like, why didn't you sing Oh Sheila for your friend? Jeez. Oh man, I love that song. Let me love you till the morning comes, Sheila. But, uh, yeah, that guy, that guy, I always want to spill my drink so he slips. <laughs> uh, that is my relationship with that guy who sings this song at karaoke. And that kind of is Bon Jovi in a nutshell. Like, that's, that's the, we were talking about, like, the places where we put artists, like, where on the shelf we just lump them in. And that's kind of Bon Jovi to me. He was up there really high, and I don't want it, but I can acknowledge why it happened. But, like, to me, it's it's this thing that belongs in, like, a time capsule. It's a relic. Like, some of, like, Bruce Springsteen, some of his songs, I think, are timeless. Um, this is a 2000 song that feels like it should have been off. Like, it could have come up right after Living on a Prayer. Like, yeah, on, this on the could have been list. what he did in the early 90s. Yeah. This, easily. This song would have sounded late in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it's crazy that it hit because you get artists who were big at that time putting out stuff way down the road and it almost never is successful so it's super crazy to me that this song still was big and charted it it, it shows that we're in a very transitional time and it also shows that like because style and image was so important that like hey good for bon jovi 20 years later you're still not a bad looking dude yeah stayed fit if he had, if he had put on 70 pounds but still could sing that way, like, that song wouldn't have been as successful. At all. And that's, you know, a failing of the time for music, but, like, it's a sad fact. And, uh, you know, good on you, John – what's it? John Bon Giovanni? That's it, right? Bon, John Bon Giovi. Sayreville, New Jersey's own, even though he won't acknowledge it. At all. Well, speaking of not being acknowledged – we're going to move into a segment we like to call Men on Emissions, and we have three songs hand-selected uh, by the artisan historic cultivators at Now and Again. Uh, I just kissed my fingers like an Italian chef. Um, uh, that have picked three songs that never made a Now, that were relevant at this time, but never appeared on a Now and Again compilation. And we're going to start with a song 
that I didn't remember at all. But when I did the research, turned out to be the biggest song of 2000, Faith Hill's Breathe. Oh my god, it was it, it it was one of those country crossover songs. It was possibly the first everywhere. or at least it's, we talked about how uh Jump and Jump and Twain. Yeah, that's true, but that was a while ago. We we talked about how like Jump and Jump is going to change the course of these now and agains in this pop. But this has to also be doing that. If it wasn't for Shania Twain's double diamond albums back to back to the point where they released a country version and a pop version of the second one to sustain the demand for the crossover audience, there would be no Faith Hills Breathe. I don't think it was as prevalent. Like you would, ha- you had Shania Twain, then like there was that Leanne Rhyme song um, from Con Air, and then which is actually a Trisha Yearwood song. Didn't Leanne Rhymes t- really? Uh, right, no, but it's actually a Trisha Yearwood song. They said she was too old, and they made a younger person re-record uh, it at the same time. That's just fucking terrible. But then, so I think that, like, after this, especially in regards to the now and agains, we're going to start getting that country crossover sooner now. Like the, uh... Yeah, wait, dude, hold on, ready? Come on over, the the album I was referencing by Shania mm-hmm. Twain sold 40 million copies in the world and became the best-selling female oh. album at that point ever. It was... I believe it. But what year was it? Uh, it was recorded starting. Oh no, it was ninety seven through two thousand. It can char- it charted from ninety seven okay, so to two thousand. Ninety seven. So what what that is is as as a film and a horror nerd, what that is is Shania Twain is the Blair Witch Project. It's this thing that came out and was unique in its time, and people were like, "Holy shit, this thing!" But people didn't start imitating it yet because it was so different. And then this happened, and Faith Hill's Breathe is the paranormal activity. And after that comes out, we're just going to get a bunch of years of pop crossover. It's like, for some reason, it didn't click then, but it clicked at this point later than it should have. And I totally get that. You know, Trisha Yearwood, Leanne Rimes, and Faith Hill were all... Because this wasn't even Faith Hill's first big hit. Faith Uh, Hill's Not in country, at least. No, not even on the pop charts. She'd had This Kiss and... Oh, um, yeah. The Way You Love Me. I didn't know this kiss was her. Yeah, and The Way You Love Me, which also had the lyrics, it's this kiss, which, ridiculous. Um, the most I know Faith Hill, and this is as just someone who, my relationship with uh, pop country is very strange, and I'm sure will come up down the road, but like the most I know Faith Hill is she was, uh, she got Trisha Yearwooded. Um, she used to do the Sunday Night Football intro song, which was fucking rad, um, and then they replaced her with Carrie Underwood and a way worse song. Like about uh, about three or four years ago. Yep, that's how it goes. Younger and prettier gets the spot. Yep. But this Sorry. song, this song, um, is really good, and I think holds up. Um, and apparently there was controversy about the video because she's laying in a bed covered in blankets, and uh, I'm just like, how was that a controversy? And then I realized that the crossover was maybe on the radio, but certainly wasn't in music videos so this is what's appearing on like the country music top 20 countdown or whatever country trl tennessee request live i don't know cmt country music television when that's going up against like the garth brooks's like this is risque but like compared to like the britney spears videos like it is it is pg as fuck right shania twain was a harlot for bearing her midriff 
all of a sudden Faith Hill is laying naked. Calling that naked is 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 putting the image in people's mind that it's far more skin than uh, it actually is in the video. A hundred percent. The chorus in this song is fucking killer. Yeah, I mean it's a really good song. Um, not my cup of tea. A little, a little meatloaf for me. Oh yeah, yes. Well, how how would you describe that? I would describe meatloaf as like um, uh, rock and roll stealing Broadway and then making both worse but still listenable. This is like performance pop country. Yeah, this is this is that big swell of a song. Um, and it unfortunately gave birth to Faith Hill only knowing how to sing songs that sound like this going forward. You find your niche, like we talked about, and you just roll with it. Like, just because she's charting on pop now and becoming relevant there, I, I mean, I feel like she's had a couple of years in the, in the country charts by now. So, like, maybe at a certain point you just go, I'm just going to I'm gonna do what's setting me up for the future. I'm just going to roll with this. I, 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 uh, I paid my dues. Yeah, I want money. Give me money. Money me, please. Money Which, me. As we've talked about before, like the idea of selling out is something that only fifteen-year-olds uh, and punks who never got self-awareness think exists. Right. It's otherwise called financial security. Yeah. I um I like this song. Surprisingly, uh, I bet this was. It's a little fast for it, but um, I bet this played a shitload of weddings in two thousand. No, yeah, I don't think it's a little fast for that at all. I think it... I was thinking, like, first dance. It's a little fast for that, probably, but, like, every wedding probably had this at some point. And it's a great song, Add a Little Fast, because then the guy doesn't have to take dance lessons. <laughs> he can just yeah. waddle. I don't know. I uh, It's a song I never thought of, but it, it just statistically needed to be here, because when I was looking into, like, music of 2000, like, this, numbers-wise, just stomped on the face of everything it's like do you know what was technically the number one sitcom of the 90s mad about you home improvement jesus christ i don't know i i guess something that wasn't friends or seinfeld i figured it had to be something but like would you uh, when was the last time you would have thought of home improvement uh yeah it's just been forgotten to time but at the time it was the biggest deal did you know that um tim allen became like a super arch conservative that's disappointing. Well, not really, but... His new TV show is, uh, he's like a car dealer, and he just rants about, like, millennials and, like, college coddling liberals and stuff like that. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I've known that the plot of the show is basically steeped in misogyny since the beginning, which is why I've never tried it. It does not seem like I am the demographic it is trying to court. No. No. Uh, I'm just going to just go to the show notes and click on the click hole link. Um, I'm not going to spoil any of it, but just click on it because it's uh, it's like the best use of home improvement I've ever seen. Other than me randomly in conversations telling people I don't think so, Tim. <laughs> or the um, the the remake of Doom using. Um, oh, yes. Using nothing but picture that picture of Tim Allen and, and the audio of him going. Arr, arr. Uh, I watched the shit out of that show as a kid. Yeah. Because it was on and in front of you. It's like yeah. one of the things I want to say to most people when they're like, oh, my God, do you remember how Great Boy Meets World was? I'm like, no, I remember how on it was. <laughs> I remember that it was something on in front of me that I understood, so I watched it. But I even remember thinking these characters make terrible life decisions. Kids I teach don't understand that there was no such thing as tween television when we were growing up. There was kids TV, mm -hmm. older teens TV, and adult TV. Yeah. And there was so little of older teens TV. It was exclusively on Fox and 
the WB and like, you know, there wasn't instant delivery of things like there is now. So you shows were made so that if you'd never seen it before, you'd be fine. Right. All the ways in which this programming shift has occurred. I don't know. It's, it's interesting to me that it's a lost culture. Yeah. Yeah. In that regard. It's funny that you, you brought that up when like one song ago we were talking about these unnecessary 20 years later sequels. It's like, you know what? You can go ahead, internet, and tell me how great Girl Meets World is, but no thank you. Oh, no, I love Girl Meets World. Don't get me wrong. I love Girl Meets World. Girl Meets World is about a bunch of really cool kids doing really cool shit, and I like it. It's also probably the most unnecessary thing to ever happen. No, that's Fuller House. They could have made that, oh, you know what? Correct. 100% correct. Or, what was it called? More Heroes Again? Family or, Matters 2. Uh, I'm really or, sad that doesn't exist. Uh, when they tried to bring Coach back. Oh, um, God, I did not know that happened. Oh, gosh, what else have they tried Why to bring Why don't we back? have the French, the fresh princess of Bel-Air with um, Tatiana uh, Willow, Willow Smith. Oh, well, sure, and Willow Smith. Why not? And they're bringing back That's So Raven, and I could not be more excited. They're doing a, a Girl Meets World thing with it, right? Well, it's just Raven has kids and one of them's psychic. Was that a plot point of the original, or is that a How does thing? no one know this? I yes. never watched That's So Raven. Kevin said the same thing. Okay, so That's So Raven. It's the future I can see. That's So Raven. It's so mysterious to me. Yeah, the plot of the show is Raven's a badass who can see the future, and she's constantly getting into hijinks, trying to what? prevent bad things from happening, and accidentally causing them, along with her best friends. So it wasn't a spinoff of the Edgar Allan Poe poem. No. No, oh, darn. But it did have a spinoff, Corey in, in the House, about her younger brother and dad, that has been stricken from canon for the new show. There's a canon for... There's a canon for everything. Uh, the next song is Christina Aguilera, Come On Over, All I Want Is You. So this is a really great thing to talk about because this album for Christina Aguilera was sort of the album that would never be finished. Well, I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt, but before you go into that, um, I just want to point out why this is on emissions. Now loves themselves some Britney Spears, but why haven't we had Genie in the Bottle at this point? Why are we five volumes in? And this this came out a little before this. I had to kind of retrofit this because I didn't realize until right now that this is completely ignored, Christina Aguilera. This is released by Sony. And um, I believe... I'm sure that is a big reason for it, yes. Yeah, I think that plays a factor. Yeah, Christina Aguilera, this album, though, is really interesting. Were you aware of how many times this album was re-released? Uh, why? Like, because... Well, I mean, like, I know, like, a book is re-released when it go Like, it sells all of its, like, prints. But, like, is a CD re-released because they're just, like... Let's tack on another bonus track, or like, why do CDs get released? Because I need that information before I can guess. She was was I, she doing Spanish language tracks? No, uh, you, you, they they decided it wasn't good, so they replaced two songs with new versions of those two songs. Oh, really? And that happened multiple times. So with Britney, it was crazy. Got re-recorded as the stop remix, so that it wouldn't sound as much like "Oops, I Did It Again," which then they were. No, I'm sorry, uh, as much as um. Hit Me Baby one more time, and then they decided it was fine if Oops, I Did It Again sounded exactly like both of them. Yeah, what do they think they're making here? Christina released Genie in a Bottle, and she felt she was too compared to Britney when she was a far better singer, so she asked her label if when 
they released What a Girl Wants as a single, they could change the key and give her a place to show off her voice. So they re-recorded it a little bit less R&B and a little bit less sleek and a little bit more pop-high production. And they re-recorded it and put it on the album again with no change to the packaging except the inside where it said the time and the couple of lyrics that got updated. But you can play the two different versions and they're in different keys and they're, they're, they're similar but very different songs. That's fucking insane. So I'm going to guess this uh, four. I'm going to guess four. Uh, just twice. It's just twice. Oh, okay. it's, it was re-released and then re-released. But the second re-release was because Come On Over Baby was really kind of just – it was fun. It was high energy, high pop. It it sort of blended into that Jessica Simpson, Mandy Moore, Britney. It could have been by any of them for a hot second before anybody really had a personality kind of sound. And they re-recorded it to be this one, which had the little speak rap that she does in the middle. Oh, God, yeah. I I have a big note that's just like, I'm talking a lot of like good things about the song, and then there's just no in all caps, and I'm pretty sure that's what it's referring to. And then it's, you give me what a girl feels, what a girl like, what a girl needs, what a girl wants, for no reason in the middle oh, of yes. the song. I did uh, another song. We have had a few on this that references other songs by that artist in their own songs. Oh yeah, um, she. Uh, so those. I never mind that. Well, so then what's really funny is her next album. Poor Christina got some really bad advice from some people uh, that were in charge of her career, because she releases her debut album. She follows it up with a Christmas album. Mm. A studio that owns old demos of hers releases a demo album. Mm. Yeah, she does a Spanish language album. I remember that. All before she gets to her her second record. So is the second record the one with Dirty on it? Yes. Wow, because that's a huge shift. Yes. That's and crazy. I, I would have thought for sure there was a sophomore album in between there somewhere. Nope. Wow, okay. So here's the thing that I was watching uh, while watching this video. I think this hits the perfect sweet spot for Christina Aguilera as um, an image. Genie in a Bottle and What a Girl Wants are a little more... Girlish. Uh, ...airing towards the side of Britney Spears, but Britney Spears in, like, the Sometimes video, where it's, like, Girl Next Door. Yeah, they're very girlish, very very demure. Yeah, Dirty is too much like... Like, being a senior in high school and seeing a teacher that you have a crush on, and then going to a strip club and finding out that teacher works there, it's like, oh no, I thought I wanted this, but I don't want this at all. It's like, it's why I really, really tell my students to never look up my Instagram... Yes. Yes. Uh, like, they're like, hey, now that, now that I'm not about to be your student anymore and I'm about to be 18, can we stay in touch? And I'm always like, no, it's really nice talking to you. Go away. And every now and then uh, I'll get a like, I'll get a new follow on Instagram and I'll look and I'll be like, ah! because I'll recognize the student's name and I'll be like, oh, God, oh, just unfollow me now. Oh, God, just yeah. unfollow me now. That for many people was Christina Aguilera and the Dirty Video. The dirty video is a bit is a bit much. Uh, like this is the perfect sweet spot because she is clearly like we're talking about ninety eight degrees being a little bit elevated, um, ma- mature wise, maturity level from like the boys and the sinks. Um, like Christina Aguilera is just talking about fucking here, and that alone should elevate her. She wants over to get dirty. Spears and Mandy Moore's, but, but but we don't need to get dirty via what dirty. she's doing in that video with two R's. Yeah, dirty. This she is. You know, dancing a little bit more sultry, wearing slightly different clothes that send a message that is slightly different than what Britney's image was putting out. And that's good. I think this song and this image is the perfect sweet spot for her. I guess for the re- I was wondering why that got fucked up. But for the reasons you just said, like, pff, 
Ooh, wow. They, it just goes all the fuck over the place. And her career doesn't recover from that for a while. Well, no, I will say that her, I will say stripped, um, stripped is a bigger hit than we give it for contextually. When we look back on it, it has beautiful show up. That's stripped. That's the same okay. album as dirty. That's why it's, that's, Whoa, really? Yeah. It's an album that's, wow. it's another album about a psychological break. It's, it's her exploring her depression and her sexuality and abuse from her parents and, and feeling like she's not in control of her career because a producer is in charge and she's exploring a lot of themes and it's, it's a much more daring record than I think people give it a lot of credit for. And then she took a little break and when she came back, it was with a concept album and it was, um, back to basics and it was like, there were like carnival themes and there were some like hmm. boogie woogie, bo- uh, some boogie woogie bugle boy kind of stuff in there. Uh, oh, I, yeah, um, I Ain't No like Other I Man. That's, I feel like that song was used in like a Target ad or something like that, which is why I know it. It was used in everything. Ain't No Other Man was a big hit for her. Uh, but yeah, you know, this was kind of the last stand of, of Reasonable Christina. After this, you got Lady Marmalade. You got, um, hey, there's another Lady Marmalade reference. Um, uh, hey, I mean, those that that is a real uh, traveling Wilburys of pop music. Like, that's all the good ones just shoved together in this awesome collaboration that, like, I wish they did, like, at least an EP. Like, put five songs out or something, not just tease us with that one. Well, they famously didn't get along, really. Ah. Christina and... So Christina and Pink don't get along um, because they both need to be the most special person in the room, it would seem, from interviews. Evidently, like, Missy called them all together and they all just sort of showed up in pajamas, according to Pink or something. And Christina Aguilera shows up with her manager and is like, Christina must have the highest note and the best verse. And Mm, That sounds right. Kind of, sort of, talent-wise, it's right. And Pink was very... No, fuck this. I don't need this. And then um, Pink's songwriting collaborator um, from Four Non Blondes. Why can't I think of her name? Linda Perry. Oh, yeah. Linda Perry, who co-wrote all of Pink's big hits on her second album, um, worked with Christina and wrote, actually wrote Beautiful, I believe, for Christina. But that's why you can hear that Beautiful is such a Pink song. Hmm. Okay. And so then Pink wouldn't work with Linda Perry out of anger for working with Christina Aguilera and Jesus Christ. Yeah. So much bullshit. It just sort of all sounds like too much ego got in the way of Lady Marmalade, you know, leading to more. I kind of don't know this why. This sounds like a tertiary plot on like for season five of Empire. No, let's not talk about Empire because season three has me so bummed out. I don't know, I've never watched the show. Oh, it's it was so good when it started. It started so sharp, and season two was even mostly okay, but they made some weird choices at the beginning of season three, and we're just not going to recover from them. Yeah, they probably never should have brought in aliens. You're, you're making a joke, but for me, it's the ghosts. Oh, oh. Sure. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anything else about uh, Come On Over? Like, we didn't talk too much about the song, but like, well, so there's, it's, it's a good song. There's three versions of it. There's the original from the album, then there's this re-record, and then there's the re-record in Spanish, Ven Conmigo Baby. She does, you know what, she took a lot of shit at the time for uh, being only one-eighth Ecuadorian and recording a Spanish-language album. Uh, probably. Um, but at least that's more eighths than uh, Una Noche had. But... <laughs> Between four people. <laughs> yeah. She does take those runs a little far. It's pretty masturbatory sometimes. 
But you know what? If she didn't, she wouldn't stand out. And then who would she be? Yeah, but I think that it's, there's an extent where you can just be like, all right, like a quota. Like, you've got six runs in three minutes. Like, we don't – you're on your, your 11th? No, please stop. Please. It's like, it's like Mariah Carey at a certain point. You've just got to be like, girl, you do not need to find a note at the end of every song that only dogs can react to. Yeah, you're trying to break every glass I have. Yeah, but Mariah can do no wrong. I love her so much. Did we talk about Britney or Christina, if you had to pick one? I know we did Britney. Uh, we did Christina. Backstreet. Okay, Christina. I know we did Backstreet and Sync. I think the Christina and Britney one is a lot more difficult. And I think, I don't know if I've polled everyone who's been on Now and Again. I know I've polled them about Sync versus Backstreet, and everyone has taken Sync. I think it would be a little bit uh, more a split. If I remember Joe 2 on episode 2 did take Christina. Like, I think, I think it would be a little bit more split. And I think that's right. I think the reason that I would go with Christina is because Christina is a performer, whereas Britney is an entertainer. Oh, that, that's why one of them has a Vegas show now. Yeah, I, I think Christina has more to say. Britney is just happy to do. I think I like more Britney Spears songs, but I acknowledge that Christina's songs are uh, more technically sound, just from a vocal standard. And I think there are just more Britney sp- songs. I think that's Britney true, has. Too. Yeah, Christina's had like five proper studio albums, and I think Britney's had five this year, so... <laughs> I think I might have said this before, but I think Britney Spears' highs are high, and her lows are lows. Like, really lows. And, like, Christina's, like, oscillations aren't as huge from ten to one. Like, she's bouncing between, like, four and eight, whereas, like, Britney's bouncing between, like, ten and one. And, like, it averages out to be very close... But it means one of them comes up more than the other. Exactly. And one, and one of them sometimes coming up means it's like, holy shit, did you hear this fucking piece of garbage? It's, it's Britney Spears singing Alien without autotune. Yes. Oh my god, look it up. I will not let you live another minute until you look no, it no, up. No, no, I know exactly what you're referring to, and that is going in the show notes. Like an alien. Or even yeah, that, uh, that version of Telephone that we referenced earlier. Yeah. Much like Britney had her redemption with her Vegas show, we're going to give this artist an an, an in-episode redemption. Uh, at the end of Side A, uh, we basically went, oh yeah, Cisco's got a song. Uh, and it was a big nothing. It'd be hard for us to ignore that Cisco at some point didn't have a big nothing. Uh, the thong song was a thing. Yeah, thong song. <clears throat> thong song is one of those things that became self-parody by virtue of continued popularity. Mm-hmm. It it phased itself out of relevance by being so un, so unbelievably silly yet catchy. Uh, Cisco can, you know, the guy can sing, the guy can perform, uh, does a hell of a job handling himself against Mariah Carey on their cover of The Beautiful Ones um, by Prince. Super terrific. Well, here's the thing about that is I feel like Mariah owns that, but like six or seven people from this time could have... Like, whoever answered that phone call first, like, someone could have done Cisco's job just as well as he could have. I don't know. He really performs the hell out of it because, you know, she does a lot of uh, duets with people. 
and that's a duet that that the per, the other person performing really puts up a hell of a job. Really, he it's a better performance than you'd think. Honestly, he you know, and his stuff with Drew Hill, somebody sleeping in my bed, unfriggin' believable. He was a great performer once upon a time. I, he must have just gotten some bad advice, or it must have just been that he was never going to get out from underneath being the guy who did Thong Song. Well, I've referenced this this person who does not deserve nearly this many references uh, twice on this this uh, volume already. But this is his Macklemore moment, where it's like you're never getting over the Thong Song. You're that guy forever. Like like he's the thrift store guy. But Macklemore did actually have a decent follow up with. Um, can't hold us. Yeah, that's true. I forget that song exists, and it is a hundred thousand percent better than anything else he's ever done. And enough people talk about one love, whether it's with derision or appreciation. Well, that song is fucking embarrassing. You know, and as a gay man, I will say to you, there is something about somebody who keeps going out of their way to say, "Oh, but I'm not gay." That really is kind of insulting. How many? That's the big part of that. Yeah, if if he wasn't constantly like, uh, uh, like. Gay rights are important, and no homo. Uh, I'm a rapper in a in a industry like the rap industry is not especially gay friendly in a lot of ways. No homo. Um, exactly. Yes. No homo. Whoa, LL Cool J just popped up in this video, doing nothing but being surrounded by thonged ladies. Could could LL Cool J just be a homo for me? Because uh, if LL Cool J got any more beautiful, it would not fit in reality. Yeah, uh, ladies love Cool James, but uh, also. Men love Cool James. That he's no, no denying that man's body. Goddamn. And, also, and his MTV Unplugged is extremely good. If you've never heard it, right? And his smile. His smile is commanding. That like, man can lick his lips like no one else. That when that man licked his lips and then bit into fruit in the doing it video, I understood why I was gay. Deepest, bluest. My hat is like a shark's fin. I always reference that. <laughs> it's my favorite thing he's ever done, other than. Uh, in the house. Show up for a cup of coffee in Halloween H2O. Or, or, he beat down his own robbers. In real life? Yeah, these guys tried to rob his house, and he, like, fucking stopped them until the cops came and, like, sat on them. That's awesome. Yeah, because he's so hot. Because <laughs> he's so hot, he can stop crime. You know what's impressive about this video? Is that it's 4 minutes and 36 seconds, which is fucking insane, but 30 seconds of that is a quote-unquote comedic intro. Despite that, it takes... Um, um, until a um, minute 52 into the video before it gets egregious. And for a, a song called Thong Song, that's showing some restraint. Yeah, I mean, but... That's not much of a compliment. Just be no, yeah, Thong Song is just, you know... Uh, when Weird Al did Amish Paradise, that was incredibly funny because what it contrasted against... There was no good parody of Thong Song, not the Dong Song, not the Mom Song. There there was no good parody of this song because the song itself is parody. That sounds like some real Morning Zoo quality caliber garbage songs. It's a fine song, but like, you know, it's not a song. Ooh, how do you feel about men with suns tattooed around their belly buttons? Because um, I just noticed so, Cisco has that. I will, n- I will not make my comment. On the podcast. How about spray-painted silver hair? Um, You know, spray-painted silver hair. How do I feel about spray-painted silver hair? I think between that and the the sun tattoo, I will not be having sex with Cisco. (laughs) He he reminds me of Chris Tucker's character from The Fifth Element. 
Yeah, no, that's the one where he has the the poofy white hair. He's the opera singer, yeah. Yeah, 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 okay. Or yeah. no, he's not the opera singer, but he's like a... He's, like, following around the opera singer, and he's, like, a journalist. He's got the really high-pitched voice, and he's annoying as shit. Like, he became Chris Tucker, the character from that movie. But, like, that's that character is what kind of Chris Tucker became. <laughs> and then he was, um... And then I feel like Chris Tucker... I feel like there was a... I th- think Drew Hill was on the Rush Hour soundtrack. Um, Probably. That had a... Actually, a really good soundtrack. You had uh, Jay Z on there, yeah, yeah. And Chris Tucker really was just a. I'm a big Jackie Chan apologist. Um, at least until you get to his really bad shit, like when he did a movie with Jennifer Love Hewitt, which no one ever needed. The tuxedo. Yeah, like no one should be CGIing Jackie Chan's action. But like Rush Hour was a great introduction to uh, Jackie Chan to America. A guy who deserved that. He's won an Oscar. He's got a. Uh, like not an like an award Oscar, but like um, a lifetime achievement one. Like good for you, like, that's Oscar. Fucking deserved. Yeah. Anyway, Thong Song turns into a real nightmare at the end when they go into uh, everyone's wearing. Yeah. Uh, what is that? It's day a... glow stuff, and it's all black lighted. Yeah. It looks like a. Th- looks... They look like a gang that gets beaten up in Batman and Robin. It sort of almost looks like um, like that and the put your hair. Put your hands where my eyes can see him. Video. Yes, it is totally Buster Rhymes. Yes, hundred percent. Those two teams should like squad off in a really weird hip hop version of West Side Story. Uh, also, who could fight in that is uh, Kesha's performance on Saturday Night Live. Do you remember that? Yes, because she dressed in like tribal blacklight war paint and was like, "Oh no, what are you no, doing?" No, you leave that alone. Kesha can do no wrong. I love Kesha. Don't get me wrong. And uh, oh man, just to add to the list of terrible things in 2016. Yeah, but that was not. Uh, I don't. I don't dig the black light look, especially. Oh man, in a video called the Thong Song, realistically, you put a black light over that, and there is a lot of stainage around this set. Yeah, Splooge City. It's like an episode of CSI. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, that's now Volume Five, but we're not going away. We're moving on to. Rap Genius. Nico, you remember Rap Genius, right? Oh, I sure do. Uh, Instead of offering you a song, I'm going to give you an option of what role you'll be portraying. Um, Because there's only two for this one. Would you rather be a... uh, Hopefully 14 or 13-year-old girl. Uh, If she's older than that, oh, man. Maybe a Maury guest? I don't know. Um, Or would you rather be a men's rights activist pickup artist? Oof. Um, I think I want to be the men's activist. Okay, so then, uh, scroll down to Soul Decision Faded. Great. So Rap Genius is a website where people can annotate and explain song lyrics. Uh, and man, we should not let people post on the internet. It's like a comment section that's been adapted to lyrics. So I'm going to read the lyrics to certain sections of Faded by Soul Decision. Whatever character or tonation you would like, um, you're going to read the annotation that some kind soul uh, added to those lyrics. <sighs> so, the lyrics of Faded are, uh, When I get you all alone, I'm going to take off all your clothes. Ain't nobody going to interrupt my game. Oh, no, no. As soon as he gets her in on some one-on-one time, he's going to seize the moment and not let anything come between it. Ever since you've been hanging around... I've been trying to figure out what I can say to you to get some play. Yeah. 
Since day one, he's been strategizing how to take this to its furthest extent. Wordplay is a key component in the seduction of the opposite sex. Now we know what we're getting into. Couldn't we do what we did last night again? Baby, you and I'd be better friends. Whatever happened last night, let's keep doing that and I'll give you anything. This is the point when the thirst is most high. A dangerous time in the game. Don't you think it's time we went a bit further? Oh, yeah. Every night we say goodbye. How can I help looking in your eyes? Wondering why that you and I haven't hit it. Can we get it on? Every time she leaves, he watches her walk away thinking, What do I need to do to do to you? One of the most frustrating stages of seduction. Kind of faded, but I'm feeling all right. Thinking about making my move tonight. He's a little drunk, but that won't stop him from making his move. Drunk courage is a gift and a curse. Ew! I can't pretend that you're only my friend when you're holding my body tight. Because I like the way you're making your move. I like the way you're making me wait. At the end of the night, when I make you feel right, you'll be coming on home with me. Yeah. 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 He refuses to believe that this is just friendship, quote-unquote, when she's all over him. He's digging how she's playing the game right back, and he knows it's only a matter of time before she is headed to bed with him. The friend zone is for those who are not bold enough to get what they want. All right, so we kind of talked about the nice guy thing before. If you're an adult male who thinks that the friend zone exists, um, kindly go fuck yourself. You are probably a rapist. Uh, oh, man. Um, men who think that they're entitled to women in some kind of way are basically uh, the worst uh, human beings alive and should take uh, a long walk off of a Pier. helicopter that is hovering above the ocean. Yeah, no question, man. No question. Oh, man. So that's the kind of uh, people that that song attracts. Yeah. And you can't blame the people in that band. And again... It's the ni- it, what's the 90s slash 2000, and uh, people knew better in uh, 2013, you know, when Blurred Lines existed and things like that. Um, so it's a little bit of, like, Grandpa's Racist kind of there, but it's still uh, pretty unacceptable and pretty gross. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just, you know. <sighs> so some people might not know what a pickup artist is. Pickup artists uh, are people who are so um, emotionally and socially stunted um, that they boil all interactions with women um, down to having a singular goal, which is having sex with them. Um, but since they are so broken, they don't actually understand how people work. So they boil it down to like a flow chart or like a conversation tree in a video game where like certain things need to be passed and succeeded at before they can move to the next step with that final goal of basically tricking a woman to ha- into having sex with them. And that's the entire thing that validates their existence. 100%. Nailed it on the head. Not even more to add. Um, you know, and this actually, I, I, I got to say this. It happened to me yesterday, and I posted on Facebook about it. But uh, I was at, um, I went to Panera yesterday because they make a, a pretty decent chai latte. Oh, man. I left pretty hard when I saw that this existed, but then I felt real bad. So I'm at Panera yesterday, and uh, I'm waiting for them to bring my chai over because the, the cute boy that uh, brings the chai to me makes me smile. So I'm just sitting at a table waiting. And uh, I hear this guy come in, and he's like, 
Oh yeah, I mean, I don't know why I'm just, you know, it's just, it's like, you know, we just got a lot to get done. So yeah, let's sit down and have our lunch really fast. And he's with this young woman and she's like, okay. He sits down and the first thing I hear him say is, cause wait, like you're what? Like 20, 22? And she's like, I'm 21. And he's like, okay, well I'm 23. And I got some stuff kind of figured out. Uh, so like the real world and college don't make sense together. Cause like out in the real world, all you really need is one skill. So like. Why do I have to go to college and take all this stuff that I'm never going to use? Like, I already took the finance courses. I don't need to take the other ones and finish. Of course it's finance courses. Of fucking course it is. And he's, like, trying to tell her about how he's figured it all out. And if she just listens to him. Because, like, she sounds like she's got problems. But he's definitely got answers. And at this point, I had to put my headphones on or get up and beat him with his bread. (laughs) So... I'm listening to BT's new Nameless album. It's super good. Um, and between tracks, I occasionally can hear, because I mean, you know, and then the music starts back up. Ugh. And so then it, it was just it, an entire, you got a side order of mansplaining with your chai. Well, so I, I finally take the headphones down and I'm getting up to leave. And she's like, well, I mean, no. And he's like, well, I mean, let me tell you why, though. Oh, God. And at this point. At this point, I wanted to be like, do you know why it makes you an asshole to play the devil's advocate or tell somebody why you know their life better than them? Because it's an asshole thing to do! Oh man, I just had this idea for uh, a Christmas movie um, called, instead of Love Actually, it's Well Actually, but it's <laughs> a bunch of <laughs> it's a bunch of mansplaining fedora-wearing assholes uh, like creeping on women during Christmas time, which, I mean, basically happens in Love Actually anyway. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it yet. I won't lie. Uh, that's something I've promised my amazing, beautiful, handsome husband that uh, we will do this Christmas. I will watch Love Actually for the first time because my handsome, wonderful husband asks so little of me. Oh, please let me know what you think about um, the Kira Knightley guy from Walking Dead storyline. Oh, sure. I'll take notes. Yes, that's the one that is really the, the creme de la crap. <laughs> no, so this guy wouldn't stop mansplaining and... um. I get that the guy was 23, right? And I'm uh, I'm 30. So I have seven years on this guy. And I might go up to this guy and I might have tried to put him in his place. And he would have said back to me, yeah, dude, well, you're only seven years older than me. And I would kind of wanted to say to him, are you telling me that you wouldn't tell a 16-year-old that you know life better than them? Yeah. Are you telling me that a 16-year-old... presidential term. Yeah. Are you telling me a 16-year-old can't tell a nine-year-old? Are you telling me a nine-year-old can't tell a two-year-old? The only person on earth a nine-year-old can tell they know life better... Is a two-year-old. Oh my god, I want, I want that conversation. You're gonna start to realize that boogers taste good, but nobody <laughs> wants to see you eat them. You know. You might think you have it all figured out, but once you're not shitting in your own drawers, things just make sense. Like, you're gonna have to start figuring out how to do baseball and homework. And they don't let you not turn in homework because of baseball. Uh, read, reading your own bedtime stories? Very liberating. <laughs> Mansplaining is the worst thing, and if you think that women are less than men in any way other than their amount of patience, uh, I'm sorry, different than men. Women have far more patience. That is the only way in which they are not equal. Women have more patience than men. Only way they are not equal. Period. If uh, you've ever used the phrase negging unironically, uh, just crawl into a sewer. If you think you are pointing out something no one has realized by pointing out 
a really unlikely and implausible possibility that should probably never occur, but it theoretically could, and you think you're doing somebody a favor by throwing this in their face when they're excited, you're bad, and you need to sit in a corner by yourself and think about it for a while. If you think a girl who's going to see Rogue One on opening night or who works at GameStop must be a fake gamer girl because you probably know more about The Legend of Zelda than her, take that Wiimote and shove it up your ass because it's the only action you're going to get for a long time. If you think that a girl isn't a comic book nerd because she hasn't been reading for 10 years, you should realize that the market was designed to keep women out. So the fact that she's managed to find her way into fandom makes her 10 times the fan you could ever hope to be because she didn't have her fandom handed to her on a silver platter. She fought and struggled to get where you're just so handed. If you've ever had an opinion that you think you should verbalize on the internet about someone cosplaying at a convention or a Halloween thing, uh, a comic book or a video game or a movie character uh, who's a female, and uh, you just you, know, you don't like it for some reason, um, keep that to yourself uh, and also choke. Yeah, and um, just in case you were confused, if for any reason you think you're entitled to argue with us about this, we have a whole lot of female friends that are happy to explain to you why you're wrong, and why, well, here's something you haven't thought of. Oh, that felt good. That really did. I feel so much better after yesterday when I didn't stab that guy in the neck. I think we can walk into 2017 a little, just ever so slightly lighter. Yeah, like, like I, I feel like I just shit out all the misogyny that I had to put up with this year. So Right? I feel like a little cloud just opened up. A little ray of sunshine came in. Ah, <sighs> oh, well... You want to read the lyrics to Case of the X? Oh, please, yes. It's after midnight, and she's on your phone, saying, come over, because she's all alone. I could tell it was your ex by your tone. Why is she calling now, after so long? She's calling his phone late, so Maya knows that it's more than anything he could say. Maya can tell that she wants him back when she asked him to come over. She could tell it was his ex because of the way he was talking to her and the change in his tone of voice changes. And she wants to know why she calls after all this time. Now, what is it that she wants? Why is she calling you and you don't have a reason to talk to her? There's no need to reminisce about the past. Obviously, because that shit did not last. Maya thinks there is no reason for them to be talking since he is now with her and they didn't work hour the first time, so she letting him know if I didn't work, then it won't work now. (laughs) Tell me, why is she on the phone in the middle of the night? Tell me, why is she in your life trying to get what's mine? Maya asked why is she calling you knowing you're mine? So, if you want her back, then take her back. Because game going recognize game. I can do the same thing. Get it right, change, or take back this ring. Maya states that if he wants her, he can have her, and she will end up playing him just as bad as he did her, and she give him back his stuff. I really want to see your pilot on Adult Swim. <laughs> oh, man, I love Rap Genius. God, the internet is the, it's the worst and the best place. Yeah, no, the internet's the best. Um... I really appreciate uh, people are just sharing their love of things. You know what I mean? Uh, Somebody thought that really would help. The Um, context. You needed that context to understand Case of the X. Yeah. 
Not that it's obvious. Enough. That's that's one of those things. Sometimes when a student says to me, but how am I supposed to understand that that's what they're saying? And I'm like, because those are the words they're using in English. <laughs> yeah. The a case of the X needed no further explanation. It's like, uh, it's thong song. No deeper read. No. Nope. No. That is, uh, that song is um, pretty literal. Yeah. Oh, except, you know what? There's been a big controversy about what dumps like a truck means. And uh, he clarified in an interview that he imagined it being like about like how when a dump truck backs up, uh, it does that beep, beep, beep noise. And he imagined women, uh, he imagined women with amazing asses needing um, something that beep, beep, beep to warn that they were coming. As opposed to she has explosive diarrhea. <laughs> yes, correct. She does not dump out like a truck. <laughs> I think that is what a lot of people uh, thought was going on there. Like Cisco's like she does amazing enemas when she puts I've, on a thong. I've walked into that bathroom after she has, and oh, those dumps are like a truck. Hey, but let me say, in the gay community, that guy is always appreciated. Wait, which one? The one who recognizes butts or the one who stinks up the bathroom? The one who's like, I'm in for a fun night. Let me clean everything out first. <laughs> okay. That guy, always really appreciated. Ah, Nico, let's um let's wrap up. We've we've talked about volume five for a long time. This has been an absolute blast. Um Yeah, this this is four hours. This is nuts. <laughs> Do you have anything from two thousand or something that you've uh, revisited since two thousand or anything like that that you wanted to recommend? Jeez, that I wanna recommend from the year two thousand. Huh. From the year two thousand you know, uh, I guess Windows 2000, fighting with that thing. That was a, a big thing that was going on at that time for people. I would say if we're talking about 2000, something really good, uh, the West Wing, man. Oh, you love yourself some West Wing. That was uh, 2000 was the end of the first, beginning of the second season. Uh, really good time. In the Shadow of Two Gunmen premiered uh, the second season. Super great. The world's introduction to falling in love with Alice and Janney and reminding us why we love Stalker Channing just so much. Um, what brought Rob Lowe and that gorgeous face and that incredible body back to television. Thanks for coming back, guy. And it made an unlikely lead out of um, Bradley Whitford, who I don't think had ever yeah. been cast as, like, the lead man before. Hey, you know what else started airing a month before this released? What? Gilmore Girls. Yeah. So uh, we briefly referenced that uh, Nico and I, and this is actually entirely his fault, uh, are both definitely Gilmore guys. Um, yeah. That show is incredible for about five and a half seasons. Yeah. You know, one of the things about Gilmore Girls is it's the brainchild of Amy Sherman Palladino, and it's best when her mood is best. Hmm. It, it just came back, and it was really cool because it's one of those examples of a sequel that helped me understand how I feel more about the original. Like, I used to think I liked Rory, and now I realized I don't like Rory. Oh, just awful. Rory's always awful. Rory always makes the worst decisions and... So entitled. And she, and she likes to straddle both sides of her, her, her cool factors. She likes to be like, I'm kind of a trust fund girl, but I'm really a down-home girl. But she won't accept any of the bad things that come along with either of those things. The fact that she clearly has no real understanding of money anymore... I'm extremely entitled and uh, only care about myself and treat other people like shit. But I read Jack Kerouac and reference it. Love me? Yeah, yeah. 
I was a manic pixie girl before there were manic pixie girls, so I shouldn't have to put up with anybody trying to be cool like Rory Gilmore. And don't get me wrong, she was so cool before there was. She, I mean, even at her worst, Rory Gilmore is still pretty cool. She's brilliant. She's she's challenging. She can hold her own, and that's you know those are the kinds of female leads we need. But uh, yeah, Rory falls into a lot of obnoxious traps mm-hmm. over and over again. I feel like a bunch of Zoe Deschanel characters would look at her and be like, "Oh, honey." Right? Get it together. Yeah. Get it together, Rory. The first couple seasons of Gilmore Girls, though, like, if you are uh, a real man's man and you're sitting there thinking, oh, Gilmore Girls, that sounds like a lady show. Yeah, I probably thought that, too, when I was, like, 17. But, uh, spoilers, it's one of the best written shows, um, especially contextually in a time before, like, the golden age of television, whatever that means. This show was really ahead of its time. And it did a lot of things incredibly well. And if you're just willing to accept comedic drama driven around the lives of two women trying to figure themselves out, like, as long as you're not too much of a man and you're working on your your negging, uh, then I think you can find something to enjoy for sure. It's a really positive show about... Um... I think when you say that you're not interested in a show because the leads are too female, it says something about you. Yeah. And, like, I could completely see that, you know, there is definitely a type of person who's like, that show is not for me. And, like, okay, sure, I get that. Yeah, no. We say that kind of shit on this show about things all the time. There's people that Gilmore Girls just will bounce off of. People who think it's too, too, not that they're too smart, but it's too rapid fire, nonstop. There's a lot of people for whom that's not an allure. But if the problem is that it's a girl show, well, what the hell's a girl show? Yeah. I mean, that rapid fire dialogue, uh, I mean, that's a criticism of Sorkin stuff, too. Like West Wing, you were talking about. Like, people are like, oh, they're just going to walk and talk forever? Like, that, yeah, yeah. That's what he does. That's what it is. Uh, but yeah, good note. Good note that Gilmore Girls started then. I'm also going to recommend, um, you know, on the last episode of Now and Again on, on 4. You know, a lot of the terrible pop punk from around this time kind of came up. Uh, And on this episode, um, a terrible artist from Sayreville, New Jersey came up. So I'm going to reference good pop punk that came from one town over in Oldbridge, New Jersey, uh, and that we listened to a lot of uh, from about 2000 to 2003 uh, while they were a band. Uh, The first album by Midtown, Save the World, Lose the Girl, uh, still holds up as an incredible pop punk album. And uh, it's still super listenable. I think their next album from 2003 was a little tighter a little better, but this one is different than a lot of that pop-punk that was coming out at the time. While thematically, it may be similar in some ways to, like, a very disposable Newfound Glory album, everything about it is smarter, just has longevity and listenability that even sustains until now. It's a very smart, well-written, well-performed album. I think they have three different singers going at any different time, though most of them kind of sound the same. One would eventually go on to form Cobra, Cobra Starship, Starship, which I imagine we will be covering at some point. Uh, Gabe, it's that's where, that was his, uh, that's where Gabe came from. Uh, I think it's an album worth revisiting or visiting for the first time if that genre of music is something you're interested in. Absolutely. I cannot agree more. It's a record for people who like records that sound like they were... It it sounds like the record they wanted to make. There's nothing really accidental about it. It's all very tight. It's all very well thought out. It does not feel like the freshman effort by a bunch of teenagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that drive-through records kind of sound um, and style was so prevalent at this time. And this is what did it the best far and away. 
I agree. I think the other thing about Midtown that sets them apart is that um, they knew how to start a record. They knew how to get your attention. I was just going to say, it's the best opening lyric. Yeah, God, I wish I could hate you for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's one of the best opening lyrics to an album I've ever heard. Yeah, it's such a great opening. Uh, and then the outro song is great. There's there's so much good uh, to discover. Uh, they're they're <laughs> the song that incorporates uh, a Kiss song into it. Uh, no Place Feels Like Home, which remains one of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, it's it, There's so much quality in this. One of the songs, I don't know if it's this album or the next one, will eventually become the title song to uh, like Road Rules or Real World or something like that. Um, so like everyone probably knows oh, the, the song. The challenge. Okay, sure. Um, I just remember hearing it on MTV like a bunch of. Th- I was when I was this age, I just had MTV on in the background. I remember just being like, "What the fuck? It was Midtown doing." Oh, it's just a. They're just using a riff. Sure. Yeah. Like a car commercial jingle, like Gaslight Anthem, being in a car commercial like two Christmases ago. I was like, "What? What, what are you using the riff from Howl for?" I thought, oh, "Okay, sure, good for them. They're getting paid." But yeah, Midtown, save the world, lose the girl. Uh, it's in that pop punk canon, and I don't think gets enough credit. Yeah, I agree. I think Midtown is just one of those shining examples of a band who deserved way bigger than they ever got. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending a lot of time with me today. Hey, happy to. Where can people find you on the internet? You should uh, be able to find me at kidriotcomics.com. That's uh, a safe bet. My website, can't miss it. And uh, if you're more of an Instagram person, you can follow me over at... Um, my Instagram, which is my name, Nico Vasillo, N-I-C-O-V-A-S-I-L-O. I'll have Chris put it in the notes. But don't do it if you're one of his former students. Oh, God, please no, because they, uh, yeah, they, uh, they see a lot more of their teacher than they need to. Uh, Music-wise? Um, <clears throat> Facebook.com slash action duo, and that's where you can check out my music. Awesome. And you will be back in the future. A couple months from now, we'll be doing this again. Uh, Thank you so much, uh, as always, for being my uh, sort of semi-regular co-host. You are amazing, and uh, you bring a level of knowledge to the show that uh, I certainly couldn't have. I, I, I do what I do just for you, sir. For those of you wondering, yes, this episode was recorded before Three Doors Down was pulled off of their flea market circuit to show that they have less self-worth than a Bruce Springsteen cover band, but I'm sure we'll get back to them at some point. I sincerely hope you've enjoyed January with us at Now and Again. I'm sure 2017 will bring a few more neat little surprises and bonus episodes. Thanks again to Nico, he will be back. And until Volume 6, we will catch you on the flip side.